Turn with me to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11. Tonight, or this afternoon, we want to look at faith's great cloud of witnesses. Now, if you've uh, been with us uh, through our study of Hebrews, uh, you know that we've been looking at a number of some of uh, the Bible's greatest people. We looked at the faith of Abel, the way of faith, the faith of Enoch, the walk of faith, the faith of Noah, the witness of faith, the faith of Abraham, the worship of faith, the faith of Isaac, the willingness of faith, the faith of Jacob, the work of faith, the faith of Joseph, the wonder of faith, the faith of Moses, the worthiness of faith, the faith of Joshua, the watch of faith, and the faith of Rahab, the wonderfulness of faith. Now, that's a, a great way to outline this chapter, and we come to uh, looking at uh, some of the uh, individuals uh, that uh, really the author did not have time, uh, and it says here, to uh, allow looking at each individual. That's a, a gigantic task of looking at all the great individuals. Uh, and we've already been studying this book a long time and a good number of weeks on chapter 11 itself. But we continue to look here at individual lives of the many who follow these that we've already looked at, uh, and if we would uh, spend as much time as on each one of them as we have already, uh, we'd be here a long time as well. But in actuality, it's, uh, it would be impossible to study all who belong in this hall of faith, because there are many. So we come to really the last section of this chapter, and we're going to call it the war of faith, the war of faith. The way, the walk, the witness, the worship, the willingness, the work, the wonder, the worthiness, the watch, the wonderfulness, and the war of faith. And so the writer gives us only an example of those who further represent these great lives, these men and women, along with those already mentioned. Now, we've taken our title actually from chapter 12. Say, we're here in chapter 11. Why are you going to talk, take your title from chapter 11 or 12? Well, chapter 12, verse 1 says this, Wherefore, and if you uh, know what the word wherefore is referring to, it's referring to chapter 11. So wherefore, seeing we also have are compassed about by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, I've heard lots of messages and so forth about in Hebrews chapter 12, and, and preachers will get up and say, well, we have this great cloud of witnesses up in heaven, and they're looking over the battlements of heaven, they're looking at you, and, and uh, they're watching your lives, and they're seeing your lives, how are you living your life? Well, is that really what the writer's referring to? I believe that the writer is refer uh, referring to the great cloud of witnesses that are in chapter 11. Uh, okay, if you talk about context, that's what uh, uh, you see, and uh, those other Examples of uh, of chapter 12, verse 1, I think, are probably good applications. But uh, what it means is the great cloud of witnesses of what we have in chapter 11. And so we have a few more examples of what he would have written if time had permitted. Uh, if we uh, look at 
Verse 32 is where we left off with this verse 31. He says, and what shall I more say for the time would fail me? So he's going to give us some more personalities here. And so we're going to look at faith's personalities. Okay, that's Roman number one. That's faith's personality. Somebody said, you know, you don't have your PowerPoint up there. You got to have, you got to tell us exactly where you're at. You know, number one, letter A, letter B. Okay. We'll, we'll walk you through it, teacher. Uh, <laughs> all right, verse 32. He says, Time would fail to tell of Gideon. That's letter A, Gideon, right? His story is clearly told in Judges chapter 6 through 8. And God raised him up, especially to deliver the children of Israel from the bondage of the Midianites. It is an exciting, a moving story. If you've ever uh, read and uh, studied the the, uh, the account of Gideon, um, he, his call came while doing his normal chores on his father's farm. How many of you lived on a farm? All right, lots of people lived on a farm. How many of you are living on a farm? A couple of you. You got chores? You better have. You live on a farm, you better have some chores. Well, here was a man who was just doing his chores. And, uh, and he, one of his chores was to thrash the wheat. And Judges 6.14 says, And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? Now, the commission was plain, it was simple, it was sure, it was unmistakable. But when Gideon went to spy out the enemy, notice what he found in Judges 7 and verse 12. It says, And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the children of the east lay along in the valley like grasshoppers, for the multitude and their camels were without number. There were so many you couldn't count them. As the sand by the seaside for the multitude. Now, if you live on the farm, you probably don't live by the seaside. But you could finally, you could probably find something there on the farm that you couldn't count everything. All right? He couldn't count the number. So, this was a great army. It consisted of only 30, his army was uh, not as great as that. It only had 32,000. Say, that's a lot. Which God, by two simple acts, reduced to 10,000. Say, that's still too many. So he got it down to 300. And yet God guaranteed the victory. Of course, you remember the story where God gave some very unmilitary uh, instructions for the battle. I can imagine our soldiers uh, listening to their commander give these instructions. But the soldiers were divided into three groups of 100 each, armed with a trumpet in one hand and a lamp covered by an empty pitcher in the other and then they positioned themselves on the hilltops all around the enemy, which was in the valley. And on the given signal, Gideon said they were to break their pitchers, blow their trumpets, and yell, the sword of the Lord and Gideon. And so we assume that the enemy thought, first of all, the end of the world had come. Secondly, they probably thought a gigantic military host was about to wipe them off the face of the earth. But at any rate, they all ran. They cried. They fled. It was a mighty victory that was won. How was it won? By faith. By faith. 
It couldn't have been accomplished any other way. They didn't have enough people. They didn't have enough uh, firepower. They didn't have enough uh, uh, of strength to do it any other way but by faith. Now he goes on to talk about Barak. Barak. The record of Barak's ministry is found in Judges 4 and 5. Barak had um, uh, been raised up by God to deliver the Israelites from their servitude under Jabin, king of Canaan, uh, who had mightily oppressed them over a period of 20 years. And his story was upstaged somewhat by the prophetess named uh, Deborah because her faith seemed stronger than his. And even though God had promised the Bible tells us, I will draw unto thee to the river Kishon, Syria, the captain of Jabin's army with his chariots and his multitude, and I will deliver him into thine hand. And Barak told Deborah, if thou will go with me when I go, but if thou will not go with me, then I will not go. And the result was that while God gave the victory, Barak lost the honor because Sisera was delivered into the hand of a of a woman by the name of Jael, the wife of Heber. And even though we don't find that Barak's faith was very strong, it was still faith. Even weak faith. The faith of a grain of mustard seed, Jesus told his disciples, can move mountains. Now, we must not lose sight of the fact that God was the one who gave the victory. In Judges 4, 23, 24, it says, So God subdued on that day Jabin the king of Canaan before the children of Israel, and the hand of the children of Israel prospered and prevailed against Jabin the king of Canaan until they had destroyed Jabin king of Canaan. So God gave the victory, but it was still by faith, even though it was a weak faith. So we go on, and we find here another name, and that is Samson. Letter C, Samson. Samson was the 13th judge raised after uh, Israel's 7th apostasy and servitude. And he was delivered. He uh, was to deliver them from a cruel, vicious Philistine under whom they had been in bitter bondage for 40 years. And we find this is a fascinating, interesting story as well. You find it in Judges 13 through 16. Jehovah had said, sent the pre-incarnate Christ in one of his Old Testament theophany appearances to Manoah's wife with the message that she, whose womb was barren, would miraculously give birth to a baby boy, offering explicit instructions about how to raise him, and assuring her he would deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. And this was repeated uh, to her skeptical husband, and they sacrificed a burnt offering. Now, Samson's call was limited to the beginning uh, to break off the Philistines' yoke, and he experienced one success after another. In fact, there was one miracle after another. You know, you think about it, who hasn't marveled at the killing of the lion? out of which he took honey and developed the riddle that fooled his bride's relatives at the wedding feast. And then there was the slaying of the 30, the burning of the Philistines' food supplies, the standing corn with vineyards and olives, the great slaughter that followed the Philistine uh, failed attempt to appease him, the slaying of a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of an ass, the picking up of the huge city gates at Gaza and 
walking right through the army of Philistines when they thought they had had him trapped. And his terrible sin and loss of power that resulted in his capture, blinding, and servitude, and then his final triumph in the house of Dagon, where he used the huge arena to collapse. He caused the huge uh, arena to collapse, and the dead which he slew at his death were more than he which he slew in his life. Well, that's good stuff. That'd make quite a movie, wouldn't it? Well, some have tried. But uh, this isn't something that was just made up in Hollywood. If you never read it, you should. It's right here in the Bible. And yet Samson was an imperfect vessel. We could actually entitle his life the man who wouldn't leave women alone. And that did seem to be his primary problem and certainly was involved in his loss of power. But thank God he was able to use this imperfect vessel, an imperfect vessel like Samson, when, they, when he acted in faith. And that's how, he, how we know he can use us. So there's Samson. And then there's Jephthah. Jephthah. You find that there in verse uh, 32. The story of this fourth man's faith sampler. It's kind of a faith sampler here we have. Found in Judges 11 and 12. Like Gideon, Barak, and Samson before him, Jephthah the Gideonite was one of the uh, judges raised up by God to both deliver and temporarily rule his people during a time of national trial and turmoil. His specific mission was to deliver God's people from the Ammonites. Jephthah did not have a very favorable beginning. He was the son of a harlot like Joseph many years before. He had been rejected by his brethren. Like Joseph, he had fled from his brethren into another land where he prospered and advanced in power. But later, when the Ammonites, under whom Israelites had served 18 years, came up and again made war, it was the elders of Gilead, went to the land of Tob and pleaded with Jephthah. They said, come and be our captain that we might fight with the children of Ammon. And he made, uh, made them agree that if he returned and defeated the Ammonites, he would be their leader. What happened? Well, we read in Judges 11, 32, And Jephthah passed over into the children of Amnon to fight against them, and the Lord delivered them into his hands, and he smote them from uh, Aurora, even till, till thou come to Mineth, even twenty cities, and under the plain of the vineyards, in a very great slaughter. Thus the children of Ammon were subdued before the children of Israel. And so you can see what faith accomplished for this son of a harlot. And yet Jephthah is probably best known today for his awful vow, unknowingly involving his only child, lovely, beautiful daughter, illustrates that even man of faith can sometimes act foolishly and wickedly. But we're not excusing it. We're just saying that God blesses our faith. And then we come to David. David, the first four men in this sampler were judges. David was a king. And we also, he was also considered a prophet according to Acts chapter 2. But there are many great references relating this story, including sections in First and Second Samuel, First Chronicles, and Psalms. Certainly too many to read this afternoon. But 
we can't even enumerate all the acts of faith on David's part. Although one that stands out perhaps most relates to his adamant refusal to lay a hand on Saul, the Lord's anointed, even though it appeared such inaction would cost him his own life and result in his early death. Instead, he believed God, and he believed that God would handle the matter and ultimately put him on the throne to rule his people, just as he had promised when Samuel had anointed him. Of course, you can't help but think when you think of David about the facing of the Philistine giant, Goliath, when all the rest of Saul's army would tremble in their boots, here's a man who truly most of the time walked by faith. And then after David is Samuel. Samuel was also a judge and yet better known as a prophet. His birth was a miracle of faith, an answer to a devoted mother, uh, mother's prayer, Hannah, in the temple. And from the very start, the scripture says, and Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and did let none of his words fall to the ground in all Israel, from Dan even to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established to be a prophet of the Lord. Now Samuel was one who, under God's instructions, selected and anointed Saul. Saul was the first king of a chosen, his chosen people, Israel. And he was the one who later, when Saul's pride and self-will caused God to reject him, selected and anointed David. In fact, some of his faith walk is clearly seen in his choice of David as a boy over the other sons of Jesse. Of course, he was following God's instructions not to look on the outward appearance, but to accept God's evaluation of the heart. So after naming six individuals, now he comes to a, a broader uh, area, and that's the prophets. Again, he says, and of the prophets. Now, who would be included in the prophets? Well, we could name a number of them. Elijah, man who defied King Ahab, Queen Jezebel, the false prophets of Baal. He was the prophet whose faith brought down fire from heaven. Following Elijah would have been Elisha, had a double portion of the spirit of Elijah. And number of uh, a numbered among the prophets who walked by faith would be Nathan, uh, who risked his death, risked death to confront David with his sin. Another one would be Jeremiah, thrown in a money dungeon, given a diet of bread and water, left to starve because he would not compromise the message of God. Isaiah, he was a prophet, the one who uh, saw the Lord sitting upon the thrown high and lifted up, and was so overwhelmed with his sinfulness, he could only cry out, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of the people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then Ezekiel. And uh, we could even include other prophets. Jonah, the belly of a great fish, preaching to Nineveh. Habakkuk. Just shall live by faith, he said. Daniel, purpose in his heart that he wouldn't defile himself. Thrown in the lion's den. So what shall we say? Like the writer, time fails us to mention the host of other prophets. We've just given you a few more. These are faith's personalities. Now, secondly, 
The writer goes on to give us faith's performances. This is in verses 33 through 38. He says, Who, through faith, subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of the weakness were made strong, waxed valiantly in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial and cruel mockings and scourgings, yet, yea, moreover, bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, they were tempted, were slain with the sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and clothing, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy, they wandered in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves. Now, these performances, I think, were great. They were great. Let me indicate to you a couple of ways they were great. Number one, great glorious works. Letter A. Great glorious works. Verse 33, faith works great things, performs great deeds. Through faith subdued kingdoms. Joshua, the judges, David, Asaph, Jehoshaphat, Hezekiah, Josiah, just to name a few. What about Joash, also called, called Jehoahaz? After shooting the arrow of the Lord's deliverance east through the open window, was given arrows by Elisha, told to smite the ground. He smote thrice and stayed, and then was rebuked by the man of God that he should have smote five or six times, and he would have had a greater victory. Great glorious works through faith subdued kingdoms. Through faith wrought righteousness. Manifestation of holiness on the part of God's prophets, both personal and public. Again, we have to think of Elisha. Mount Carmel brought revival to a backslidden people. Through faith obtained promises. Uh, They took God at his word. In other words, they proved him. I can't help but think of Caleb. One of the twelve spies claimed God's promise for the land of Canaan. So there were great glorious works. Then in verse 33 through 35, we have great glorious victories. Uh, I'd say stopping the mouths of lions would be a great victory. Of course, that reference is Daniel. Uh, Samson certainly stopped the mouth of a lion on the road to Timnath in Judges 14. David, as a shepherd boy, stopped the mouth of a lion, but also a bear. And do not forget the even less known feat of Benaiah, one of David's mighty men, who not only slew two lions, like men of Moab, but also went down and slew the lion in the pit on a snowy day. Someone has said that was a difficult thing in a difficult place at a difficult time. It took faith. So through faith, they stopped the mouths of lions. Through faith, they quenched the violence of fires. A fire. Numbers 11 is one example of this. Because of the constant complaining of the people, notice what it says in Numbers 11, 1 and 2. And when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. And the Lord heard it, and his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. And the people cried unto Moses, and when Moses prayed unto the Lord, the fire was quenched. 
Another incident comes to mind when the fire was from Satan. Nebuchadnezzar had set up his golden image in the plain of Dura, commanded all the princes and governors and the captains and the judges and the treasurers and the counselors and the sheriffs and all the rulers of the province to fall down and worship the idol when the orchestra played, warning them that all who failed to do so would cast into the midst of a burning fire, uh, furnace of fire. Hey, what about shake a bed, make a bed, and to bed me go? Some of you are thinking about that right now. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They wouldn't bend, they wouldn't box, they wouldn't burn. Daniel uh, 3 and verses 27, uh, 21 to 27. Tremendous story of men of faith. Quench the violence of fire. Through faith they escaped the edge of the sword, it says here. David's example of that, he escaped the edge of Goliath's sword. Uh, Later he would escape the sword of Saul. Jeremiah would be another example in Jeremiah 39. Through faith out of weakness were made strong. Wow, we could think of a number of examples here. Includes Sarah. Saw her early in this chapter. Hezekiah was on his deathbed, surely a place of weakness. God answered his prayer. Made him strong again. Gave him another 15 years of life. We also spoke of Gideon. Men were like grasshoppers compared to the Midianites. Through faith wax valiant in fight. King Asa, against terrible odds, went to battle against Surah and the uh, Ethiopians. Hezekiah went against uh, the mighty Assyrian king. Joshua in the conquest of Canaan. Through faith turned to the flight the armies of the aliens. As an example of that uh, would be uh, Amalek's, uh, Amalek's uh, attack on Israel. Joshua selected men to fight. Moses was on the top uh, of a nearby hill. He held up his rod. And they were winning. He let his rod down. They were losing. Aaron and Ur um, held up his hands and the victory was won. Through faith women received their dead, raised to life again. The widow Zarephath. Her son immediately comes to mind. He was raised from the dead by Elijah. Later, Elisha would raise the son of the Shunammite woman. So these were great, glorious victories. But then there were some great, gruesome testings. Great, gruesome testings. This is a radical change from faith, great works, and great victories. There were those who walked by faith, Admittedly endured many trials, many sufferings, and sometimes martyrdom. Through faith, others were tortured, it says here, not accepting deliverance. The word deliverance is the word that we use for redemption or the price of a release or the required price, the ransom. They could have been physically saved from their horrible experiences. They could have escaped, but they chose not to. The world calls people like this fools and crazy and insane and mad. Why would they escape? Because to do so would have involved compromising their position, betraying their Lord. Why wouldn't they escape? They did not want to compromise the Lord. They refused. And then through faith, others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings. Yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonments. Can't help but think of the weeping prophet Jeremiah. Outstanding illustration of this. The jeering and the sneering the ridicule that were topped only by the bonds and the dudgeon. I'm reminded 
also of an account of religious persecution that took place in the 1500s with the Anabaptists, so well related in a book entitled The Bible Makes Us Baptist. That wasn't the original ter- uh, title for that book, but it uh, was um, uh, a death of story or something like that. But it was later changed to The Bible Makes Us Baptist, and that was uh, certainly a, a tremendous uh, way of putting it. If you've never read it, uh, you need to get a hold of a copy. I don't know where my copy is. I might have loaned it out and not gotten it back. But it, uh, I've had uh, shared that uh, story with many people. Uh, the Bible makes us Baptists. It's about uh, uh, these uh, who uh, suffered religious persecution at the hands of Rome. People were punished. They were persecuted. They were thrown into dungeon prisons because they had a copy of the Bible in their home. And they dared to keep it and keep its precepts. They dared to sing the song like we sang this morning, Give Me the Bible. I wonder how we would do if that took place today. What if, they, what if the government came in and said, You cannot have a Bible anymore. And if we catch you having a Bible, we're going to throw you in jail. That happened in the 1500s in England. Do you have enough faith to go ahead and suffer the cruel mockings and scourgings, bonds and imprisonments? Through faith they were stoned. It says here in our uh, text, Stoning, of course, was an ordinary and accepted mode of execution on the part of Hebrew people. Many people suffered that fate over the centuries. Through faith, they were sawn asunder. Some say that Jeremiah was martyred this way with a wooden sword. If true, how painful it must have been as the tormentors tried to force just wood to cut through the flesh and bone of his body. Whether or not Jeremiah dies this way, I don't know, but others of God's servants did. Through faith they were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins. They suffered, uh, their suffering was innumerable. Wandered through the wilderness, clothed only in skins of sheep and goats. Obviously they hadn't read the 20th century bestseller, God Wants You to Be Rich. They hadn't listened to the preachers on television say, uh, you, God wants you to be rich and you, uh, you ought not to ever have to uh, go without. They've ne- they never heard the multitude of health and wealth preachers of the day. Through faith were destitute, afflicted, and tormented. They were evilly tr- treated. Now, if you doubt that, just... Get a copy of Fox's Book of Martyrs sometime and sit down and read that before you go to bed. Of course, it'll take you more than just one time to read that. Through faith, they wandered in deserts and in the mountains and the dens and the caves of the earth. Many have been like our Lord when he was on earth. For he said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. How about the life of the Christians who were in the catacombs during the bloody days of persecution in the early church? Yes, these performances of faith were great. And then, thirdly, 
we have faith's appraisal here in verses 38 through 40. It says, Of whom the world was not worthy. Of whom the world was not worthy. Letter A. What a tremendous testimony to these saints of years gone by. Could such an evaluation be written of you or me today? I'm not talking about you and your mother or your friends, but you by the Holy Spirit. Remember, it was their faith that made manifest in their works, which were made true of them. Secondly, they these also obtained a good report, it tells us. They uh, wandered through the deserts and the mountains and dens and caves, and of these having obtained a good report, verse 39, through faith. Who are these all? Why, everyone listed in Hebrews 11. Beginning with Abel. Going through the ones that he didn't have time to mention. Includes all who lived and died by faith. They obtained a good report. It's the same statement as in verse 2. At the start of the chapter, remember? It's been a while. Verse 2. For by it the elders obtained a good report. The hall of fame both starts and stops with these, this idea. It's not something said about them, but something said to them. It wasn't something they gave, but obtained. They received a revelation through faith. And then thirdly, let her see, these all received not the promise. None obtained his or her full inheritance in this life. It's explained back in verse 13. In verse 13, It says, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were persuaded of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Why didn't they receive it in their lifetime? Well, he explains here in verse 40, the better thing, God having provided some better thing for us, that they uh, they without us should not be perfect. The without us is speaking of New Testament believers. The better thing, a better revelator, a better rest, a better priesthood, a better covenant, a better sacrifice. I don't know what you say when you uh, order a hamburger. What do you say? Give me the works, right? Some of you probably don't like onions. Some of you don't like tomatoes. Some of you don't like pickles. I said, give me the works. Everything but the dish rag. I mean, I want a hamburger. Well, that's what this is. This is the works. Everything. A better everything. When he says without us, he's speaking of New Testament believers. There. And our perfection was brought about at the same time, same place. Where was that? At Calvary. We sang about it. Even so, we haven't received the full perfection yet. The consummation of this perfecting will takes place will take place when Christ returns and all the redeemed will receive their glorified bodies. We're looking forward to that day, aren't we? Well, we certainly understand the writer's expression, time would fail me, argument. I mean, we've just tried to kind of hit the highlights in these nine verses. We've listed some men and some women who really more than enough are more than enough for even one message. But I hope you have caught a little bit 
of what the writer was trying to convey to us. The saved of all ages, both Old and New Testaments, were saved by faith. They walked by faith. They lived by faith. They died by faith. Habakkuk 2.4 expresses it well. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. The important thing is that you make sure you're one of the faith ones. For one thing, have you put your faith and your trust in the Lord Jesus for forgiveness of your many sins? Receive the gift of eternal life. Let me close with this illustration. I don't know if you've heard of John G. Patton. John G. Patton, not the Patton that was the army general, but John G. Patton was a missionary who did a great many great works in his ministry. One of them was to give people he ministered to the Word of God in their own tongue. One of the first books he translated, of course, was the book of John, and it's filled with synonyms for faith. The problem was, when he, to come up with the right word to describe faith in a native tongue. And one day he was seated in a chair in his home, and, and a national came in and commented in his own language about the teacher sitting in the chair. And the word he used aroused Patton, and he immediately lifted his feet off the floor so that even they were supported by the chair. He said, now what am I doing? The national responded, you've committed your weight to the chair and have lifted yourself from every other support. And he jumped to his feet and he exclaimed, that's it. That's what we're looking for. To describe faith, we describe it by saying, we've committed our weight unto this object and lifted ourselves from every other means of support. If you're sitting there in your chair and you take, pick your both feet up, you're putting complete faith in that chair. If you've got your feet on the floor, you're not, you don't have complete faith. <laughs> Some of you try to think, how can I do that? I can't even get one foot up off the floor. <laughs> Committed my weight into this object and lifted myself from every other means of support. That's what faith is. Faith is committing yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ, to Him alone, not resting in any other thing whatsoever. Christ and Him alone. Not Christ plus works, not Christ plus religious rites or acts, not Christ and the Lord's table. Christ alone. Now that's not to say the Lord's table is not important because it's a command of God in His Word that we observe the Lord's table. But the question is this afternoon, have you come to that place where you have committed yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone and to any, nothing else whatsoever? Again, wonderful study in this hall of fame, the book of Hebrews, the chapter 11, Hall of Faith. Let's pray. Father in heaven.